Father, I pray you'd help me by your spirit. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, helpful. Let love be my motivation. I pray that people would have ears to hear. We all think we're right until you correct us. Help us to put our guard down and come and demolish anything that's getting in your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so let me see here. My good, good friend Brandon Highsong's not in here, but when he was a young, oh, he is. Okay. They have three kids now. So they have three kids now. So oftentimes he's not in here. But when he was very young, he made a joke when we let him do his testimony. And he said that when you first meet me, I say, Hi, my name is Tad. Memorize the book of James. Trap. Um, because I always have young believers who are serious. Memorize the book of James, whole book of James, start to finish. Uh, who has done that or is in process? See that, visitors? People are, whole book, whole book of James. Why? Because you will use it pretty much every day of your life if it's in there. I can't say that about every book. You know, if you memorize Leviticus, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be using that every day. Book of James, absolutely. And uh, it starts out, consider it all joy, my brothers, but it's generic, brothers and sisters, when you encounter all kinds of trials. That's crazy talk. So I don't know. I'm not going to look at anybody. I don't know who's on Zoom. Some of you guys have gone through divorces. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have gone to the doctor and they said cancer. Um, people in our broader circle, recent family diagnoses of HIV, stuff like that. Some of you have had miscarriages. Some of your families have rejected you because of your commitment to the Lord. Some of you have lost jobs. You're either in a trial or you're headed for a trial. That's the only two conditions that there are on this side of eternity. And James says, your knee-jerk response, you go into the doctor and he hits your you know, knee or whatever, your knee, boom, your knee, right? Your, see, see if your reflexes are working. Your reflexive response to a trial should be, thank you, Lord, for this trial. That's what he says. Consider it all joy. It doesn't mean this is good or God caused it. The devil himself might be behind it. But the book of James, James says, when this hits your life, if you're a mature Christian who has the mind of Christ, this will be your automatic response. I didn't say if you're a pastor or a missionary or you've been a Christian for 50 years, this will be your automatic response because there's plenty of people who've been walking with the Lord for decades and they still respond like an unsaved person. But a person that really knows the Lord, when you hit a trial, you get ripped off, you get betrayed. Man, we could spend all day. I could just tell you all about my trials. Before my first missions trip, I don't know why this file popped up. Before my first missions trip to Africa, um, I got a thing in the mail. Your account has been sabotaged and tapped dry. What am I supposed to do? Consider it all joy. All right, Lord, thank you. When my boys were little, I would teach them this. I remember, again, I could, I got to like make sure I don't, I, I love rabbit trails, so I got to make sure I stay on task here. Um, I had just been given a pretty cool truck. It was one of my favorite vehicles ever. Um, it was a big Dodge, big red Dodge. Before the paperwork was even signed over, some dope smoking kid ran a stop sign when I'm going down a highway at about 60 miles an hour. I laid down tracks. It looked like it looked like a hundred yards. And I smacked into him. He went in the ditch. My kid is sitting next to me, my youngest. They had to cut him out with the jaws of life. He was okay. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a it wasn't bleeding all over. What's that? Not my kid, but the guy in the other car. He was but he rolled down the hill. They had to cut him out, all this stuff. My I'm fluid leaking all over the highway. And I turned to my young son and I said, What do I do right now? Praise Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we do. We praise Jesus. You know, 
stupid dope smoking kids. What are these kids these days? They're just no respect and no, you know, whatever. Ruining my day and ruining my new truck. Almost killed my kid. I ought to go down there and give him what for, right? No. Thank you, Lord. Not because this is good, but because when I hand it to you, it gives you, it, it frees up God to start making it into something good. If you don't know how to do this, you have not gone inches in your walk with God because you're always going to be facing stuff. And unfortunately, I've seen people that are in ministry full time, they go to the doctor, might be cancer. After all I've done for you, is this how you do me? I've heard an NFL receiver say that too. I serve you 24-7. I dropped the ball in the end zone. Is this how you do me? Right? Where that's that is that's literally a quote. Immaturity. When the devil himself comes against you, when life circumstances hit you, when you find yourself in a fire, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because the testing, the proving, the purifying, this is the word that you use for purifying metals, uh, of your faith produces endurance, which is strength over the long haul, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God uses trials as the fire to make you. God uses trials. He put us in a world, world that was full of trials. Why am I going over this? Because there's some new people and we keep needing to hear this. Because what the devil does is he says, well, the pastor's not talking about your trial. Your trial, you caused it. So this is not, this is not one of those trials that God can use. This is a cursed trial. This is, out, no, in the book of Romans, which you're going to be looking at here in a moment, it says all things all things, all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're lined up with God, you're surrendered to him, you can say, God, you know that kid that I had that I shouldn't have because of that immoral relationship I was in when I was young and stupid. Um, I know that was wrong and that's brought a lot of trouble in this world, but I'm going to hand it to you. I'm going to thank you. Lord, I thank you that that happened because I want you to teach me and I want you to bring good out of this. And I want you to make me more like Jesus. I just want you to turn this thing on its head. And something that's caused a bunch of trouble, I want you to, I want you to redeem it. It's one of my favorite things about God. But we're in a world that we're always headed for trouble. We're always going to be experiencing trouble. Some of it we cause. God can redeem that. Somebody in here may have blown up a relationship or a marriage. I got to not catch anyone's eyes like you told them i was coming no you're part of the human race that's just typical stuff some of you uh wrecked the job opportunity because you did something really foolish you destroyed your reputation well the apostle paul when he was stupid and unsaved did you know what he did he was a christian hunter that's what he was the guy that wrote 13 or 14 of the books in the new testament we're not sure about hebrews he was a professional Christian hunter. Having God's best and brightest thrown in jail, put to death, that's what he did. That was his job. And then he gets saved. You have to hand your failures even after you get saved. Students studying the book of Galatians, the apostle Peter, who was the tip of the spear of the Christian movement after Jesus ascended back to the Father, he had grown up a little bit, oh, what's the delicate word? Racist. It's just a fact. The Jews had a very high view of themselves, and they tended to think of everybody else, all of us, as dogs, Gentile dogs. And there came a point where God says, guess what, Peter? Everybody's equal now. In the new covenant, I don't have a chosen people. They're all my chosen people, and they all have an opportunity to get in, Jew and Gentile, all one. But he'd been programmed a certain way to think a certain way. So even after he was saved, Paul had to humiliate him in front of the church at Galatia and say, stop giving preference to Jews because this is not just about Jews anymore. So he, even after he was saved, and he said he was a sinner, and he called him to repentance. And so Paul, so even after you're saved, the dumb things you do that bring trial and trouble into your life, split churches... You say, once you get your head on straight, God, forgive me. 
I thank you for this mess, not because it was a good thing, but because of what you can do with it. Redeem it. So consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, strength over the long haul. These trials are what form Christ's likeness in you. And then James says, when you're in this situation and you're thanking God, what about for your lousy job that you hate? Ugh. Right? Lousy job you hate. Someone I was just talking to before the service. Still love that job? You still love it? He says, I still have it. Right? Thank you, Lord, for this job that I hate. What about this dream, this thing you've had in your heart forever, and it just doesn't seem to ever come to fruition? What about some of you young ladies that want to be a mom, and that just doesn't seem to be happening? Can you say, God, I thank you for this trial. I give it to you. Bring good out of it. Bring glory out of it. He says trials of various kinds. And what he's talking about is the trial you're in. It's the trial you're in. Yes, that one. No, not this one. Yeah, that one. You can't pay your rent. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, your difficulty with your mother-in-law or your mother or the uh, fractured relationship uh, within your family or, let's get really personal here, the abuse you suffered. Not because God did it, but because he set up this world that whatever happens to us, if we take it and we hand it to him, he'll redeem it. There's some people in here that have been through some gnarly, awful, hellish stuff. As bad, pretty About as bad as it gets. God says, hand it to me. Thank me for it. I'll redeem it. I didn't cause it. I didn't like it. But I know you're in a world where those kind of things happen. Give it to me and I'll redeem it. What I really wanted to do, though, is this is all over the New Testament. If you don't have a good theology of trials, you can't be reading the book. It's not just about praying a little prayer at Bible camp or going forward at the rally or getting baptized and then just waiting for Jesus to come back. There's, <laughs> if, that, if it was just about John 3.16, why do we have, whatever, 1,300 pages of small print double column? It's everything, everything we face in life. There's an answer for it. That prayer that you pray, accepting the gospel, that gets you in the door so that you can learn how to handle all the rest of life. The passage that I really wanted to go to is Romans 8, which I think is the high note in the entire Bible. So if you think of, uh, if you think the, uh, of the Bible as a oratorio or an opera or something, that high note, you know, when the, the Viking lady and the, you know, the, <laughs> what's the politically correct word for someone who's overweight now? I don't know. They say when the whatever lady sings, this high note, that's, that's, this is the, this is the high note. It's, it says toward the end of it. Let's see here. Who can separate us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Paul is saying, Christians, guess what? You're going to go through tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. Why? Because God shoots lightnings out of his, out of his fingernails and fingers and, and is cruel. And no. You're in a world where people are always doing stupid things. And you're always doing stupid things. And I don't smash in and clean them all up. Well, I think you should have made a different world. Well, you can file that at the complaint window in heaven. But we're in this world. God made a world. Why did he make it this way? Why did he make it full of trials? Well, that's why you study your Bible. He had a really good reason for it all. <clears throat> so let's look a little bit more about trials and suffering. Um, verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, breakdown, chaos, not of its own will, but because of him, that's God, who subjected it. Who let it happen? Why do you let it happen? In hope. 
that the creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God put us in this world because this world is a crucible where little potential image bearers, you and me, can become what God intended when he made us. Without the fire, not possible. God let it happen. He let it go haywire. All the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We'll look at that in a moment. Our first parents, God said, don't sin. Why not? Because sin brings death. They were deceived. They decided to sin. What happened? The whole creation was cursed. That's what, even, even natural disasters, even things like that. Everything went haywire. So the ground's cursed because of you. Everything's cursed. Your bodies are cursed. Health is cursed. The weather is cursed. You know, earthquakes, famines, all those kind of things. We, we welcome that in. And even death, we welcome that. It's a just in Romans chapter 5. Just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin. So we brought all the fire in by our stupid decisions. And we continue to start new fires all the time. Some of you guys started some pretty good ones this morning on your way here to church. Right? on the phone, arguing with your spouse, being a bad example for your kids. You know, I don't even want to get into what some of you guys did this weekend, right? We're stupid and we're making fires all the time. Sometimes you have to suffer from your own fire. Sometimes, you know, someone breaks in my car because they want my, you know, people used to steal people's stereos. I don't know, they still do that with the big screens. I don't know. But uh, yes, they do. Yes, we have a police officer back there. Uh-huh. One day I go to my car, the window's broken, and my stereo's gone, and I didn't do anything, but that's a trial. I wasn't making enough money to get my window replaced and get a new whatever, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars stereo replaced. You just infringe. Your stupidity just brought fire into my life. Someone cheats on you. Someone slanders you, whatever. Just fire, 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 fire. And, but God put us in this world because it, why? It says hope. He did it. He gave us intelligence. He gave us emotion. He gave us will, choice. He gave us those gifts so that we could become like Jesus. When we misuse our will, we create fire. Every time we sin, we create fire. That's what makes sin sinful. It becomes fire. It hurts people. God says, every time you're in one of those fire, hand that situation to me and ask me to redeem it. And even be thankful. Your, thank your thankfulness is an act of faith. I believe you can bring good out of this fire. So much to say about this. But this chapter, the high note of the whole Bible, he says, guess what, Christians? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, as in, huh, put to death unjustly, peril and sword. That's going to be happening to you. This health and wealth nonsense that if you're not happy, you're not walking with God, it's an absurdity. It's from a bunch of people that do not read the Bible. Now, God, there are, it's, it's half truths because God does bless you. And if you walk with people who know the Lord, they'll tell you stories about checks in the mail and physical healings and divine guidance and dreams and visions and all kinds of wonderful things. But if you leave this part off, half truth is a whole lie, right? So preaching just the health and wealth and happiness gospel is just as much a lie as preaching a sickness and poverty and misery gospel, right? It's the... It's, yes, there's trials. What's the, what's the point? What's the purpose? In the trial, God's going to make you like his son. Why am I saying this? Because again and again and again, I talk to Christians who seem to forget this. And I, was, I made a little list for myself. You're walking with the Lord. You're being faithful. You're doing your time in the morning. You're coming to prayer. You're reaching out. You got a little brother at the little, you know, big brothers, big sisters program. You're being a mentor. You're giving your tithe. And at uh, some point you decide because God leads you to adopt a child. Kid turns out to be a hellion. Like your house is on fire because you brought that kid in your house. And you, God, I can't believe you pulled a fast one on me. You, you are called into a ministry. 
so clearly God lays out the red carpet. Everybody godly is giving you the affirmation and the prophetic word. And you take that position and you get chewed up and spit out by that church, betrayed, gutted, cannibalized. I mean, Galatians says that about Christians devouring each other. God, you set me up. It was just supposed to be happiness and joy and bliss. This is one that seems to happen quite a bit. You get into a marriage and God led you into that marriage. And uh, some things come out that you didn't see when everybody was starry-eyed and Somebody said that falling in love is a temporary insanity that just ensures that we're going to breed. I don't quite believe that. That was just like one, one, one. But it's like a temporary insanity where you're just like, this person is perfect. And then you get across the threshold and you're like, God, I can't believe what you've done to me. Right? This happens all the time. What are some other things on my list I was thinking about? Oh, you pray and you pray and you pray for that car. Right, you're a student and you've scraped your nickels and dimes together and you're praying for that car and you God leads you to this car. You really feel like it's the Lord. And it's a lemon and you lose all your money. I can't believe. Or a house. Someone was telling me about a house. I think it was at our leadership retreat. Someone bought a house. The sewage. Was that you guys told me about that? Who was that? Somebody went right under the house and dumped on the ground, under the house. So everybody in the house kept getting sick, right? So Lord, we just prayed, lead us to the right house. I can't believe you did. God's like, you might be right in the center of God's will and have a person, this happened to me, a person that you bring into a ministry or your job or even your spouse shank you and cut your guts out. Were you disobedient to the Lord? Were you missing God's will? This is the world we live in, where people have real choices. Say, God, but you knew it was coming, and that was cruel, and you should have. Have you ever heard the uh, kind of the, uh, what would you call it? It's not a fable. It's not a myth. I think it's actually how it really works, but kind of the story of the butterfly and the chrysalis. There's a guy watching a butterfly. Try, you know, the larva trying to get out of the chrysalis. And I guess it's pretty excruciating, kind of brutal to watch. And it takes a long time. And it just seems like the butterfly struggles and struggles and struggles. And it doesn't seem to be making progress. And there's a little tiny hole. And it just, you're, you're like, oh, man, I wish I could just like break in there. And uh, so as the story goes, a guy's watching it. And he just kind of gets a pair of scissors. And I'll just help this little guy out. Well, uh Butterfly gets out, it can't fly. Because there's something very necessary about the struggle and the strain and the trial and the whole process that actually created that butterfly. As I was preparing this, you may not understand all this, but check the Bible and see if it's true. You becoming what you're created to be, bearing the image of Christ, you have to go through the struggle, the strain, the trials. And if you don't, if God just breaks in every time, oh, okay, I'll just send that check in the mail. Okay, I'll just move, move all those mean people out of your life. You know, I'll just shorten that trial. Oh, you, you're not happy. To, I just want you to be happy all the time. Isn't that why we're saved? So we can be happy, happy, happy? No, we're saved so we can be like Jesus. Romans 8 said, whom he foreknew, that's us. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why you were made, not to be happy. Although I'm pretty darn happy. I'm, I'm The longer you walk with Jesus, literally, I'm euphoric. I'm high several times a week, but I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm literally, I'm high because I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of what God's doing around me and I get to participate in it. So it's, but you have to go through trials so that you can be strengthened, like James says, so you can learn new things. And James says, when you're in a trial and you're feeling that heat, you don't blame God. You don't get mad. What do you do? James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you say, God, I am in a trial and this is really painful. Give me wisdom. What do you want to teach me about myself? What do you want to teach me about you that I don't know yet? Get me out of this thing. I think we should always expect two blessings in any trial. This is the norm. God loves healing. He loves the financial miracle. 
He loves the, the, the deliverance from the pit, like Psalm 103. He loves all that stuff. But you know what he loves more? You becoming like Jesus. That's what he loves more. So a borrowed phrase from a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata that I think she borrowed from somebody else. God will use what he hates to bring about what he loves. He doesn't like disease. He doesn't like poverty. He doesn't like sickness. But if those fires cause you to turn your head up and say, God, what do I lack? It, that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to just take you to school. You're going to face tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. You're going to be following the perfect will of God, being 100% obedient. And then you're going to get run over by a Mack truck. And you're going to get betrayed. And you're going to fail miserably in that ministry that you thought was going to change the world. Do I hear any amens in here? You thought you were going to change the world and you failed. I've, I've been there. I've been there, done that. My wife will say amen. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that I went through it. So uh, when I was meditating on all this, it, it brought me back to Genesis 3. And the very first temptation that a human being ever faced which was Eve in the garden. And uh, chapter three of Genesis, the serpent, of course, this is Satan. It's the serpent. More crafty than all the other beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, as God said, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. So he's already try trying to mess with what God said. That's what God, that's what the devil does. He messes with what we think God has said. He tries to confuse us. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. From the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. I don't remember him saying that, but maybe she's getting a little fuzzy. Lest you die. That's right, though. Don't eat it. Are you going to die? The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Basically, he's saying God's trying to keep you back. God's trying to shortchange you. God is trying to rip you off. Every time a trial hits your life, there's a temptation. God's trying to speak to you and pull you deeper into his love. And the devil is trying to pervert your vision of God. At my old church, I don't think anybody can put these pieces together. There was a very angry man living across the street from the first church building that we bought. It's pretty some some people in this room were there. He was angry because God he was on a he was on a uh, what do you call it, pastoral search committee, and they thought that they had found God's man for their church, and the dude turned out to be kind of a sick guy and did some really destructive things and hurt a lot of people in the church. And this guy said, well, heck with that. If that's the way God's going to be, I'm not going to church anymore. So we talk about God, but he's like, I'm not going back to church. So what happened to him was the devil basically said, see, God let you down. God can't be trusted. God's The devil kind of helped him. The, the trial became an invitation, a temptation for the devil to distort his vision of God. That's kind of what happened here. Eve faced a temptation and the devil said, do you know why God's put you in this situation, Eve? Because he's a jerk. There are people uh, right now deconstructing by the hundreds, if not thousands, all over the country because they got put in some trial and the devil said, do you know why God put you in that situation? Because he's a jerk. Because he likes to kill babies. Because he likes to smite people with cancer. Um, because he scripted out that sexual abuse that you went through as a child. He's a jerk. And uh, and then you have pastors kind of affirming it, unfortunately, with their theology from the front of the church. Everything happens for a reason. You mean my dad abandoning me and then my uncle raping me? And that was all, everything happens for a reason. He's in control. It's all his script. We praise him. People are like, not interested. I'm not interested in praising a God that uh, pulls those kind of shenanigans and writes such a dark script. I was actually in a theology class. <laughs> at, <laughs> at a very prestigious school, and uh, they were kind of teaching this stuff, and I raised my hand, and I said, so what you're saying is when God acts like the devil, we're supposed to worship him? Is that what you're saying? I'm just trying to get clarity here. 
being a little facetious. And I remember everybody in class like, what is he saying? Is he a heretic? But that's what the devil does. He says, "What the circumstances you're in, this validates the fact that God is a jerk. He's not worth serving. Or if people take that too far, they'll say, I don't need a God at all. They'll become an atheist. Anyway, trials. The word for trial is the same as the word for temptation in James. Parasmos, it's a same temptation trial. You can use, Because a trial is a temptation. It's a temptation to go left or right. You get betrayed, you can handle it rightly, you can handle it wrongly. You're, you're in poverty, you can go this way, you can go left or right. It's a, it's a chance for you to do the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, but when you're in a trial, whatever trial you're in, you need to say, God, thank you for this trial. Maximize it for your glory. What's the main thing we should want to come out of a trial? I want to know you better. Protect me from any lies that the evil one wants to tell me at this time, because he could wreck me with this thing. A lot of people have been wrecked by the script, God did this to you. We had a friend. She kept going to church, but she didn't take communion for 10 years because she'd gone into a ministry situation and some things had happened there, and she thought God sort of did her dirty. I had a professor that wrote a book called... (laughs) Deceived by God. And it, I'm not even going to go into the explanation of that, but he ended up, he married a woman who had a degenerative uh, disorder that was genetic and it was going to be passed down to his kids. And he's, God's done me dirty. That was a devil helping him gulp that theology. What does God want us to do? What does God want us to see in the midst of a trial? If you go back to Romans 8, The, the high note of the scripture. And I can't even explain how all this works. You just have to, you have to walk through it yourself. And some of you have gone through this and you've, you've done this and you've experienced this. What are you supposed to learn by going through a lot of trials? Somehow, mysteriously, and I can't explain it to you because you have to step into the void for yourself and say, God, I'm going to rejoice in trials. And I'm going to believe you're going to give me wisdom. I'm going to believe you're going to reveal yourself to me. I'm going to believe that good is going to come out of this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He was shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, imprisoned. He did not have an easy life. But the high note of the high, whatever, aria of the whole Bible, the end of it says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is, hey, you may not understand how the game has been set up here on planet Earth. Don't assume you do. And realize that there are demonic powers that are trying to get you to put the pieces together wrong. So you'll be derailed. So you'll become bitter. But if you'll go through a trial properly and you'll hand it to the Lord and believe that he loves you ferociously. I love that song, Reckless Love. Reckless. Some people like God's love isn't reckless. It's intentional. We're not allowed to sing that song in church. I'm like, holy cow, you guys need to relax. It's being poetic here. But how reckless that he would die, that God would become a man, infinite creator, God would become a man and die for you? That looks pretty reckless to me. Why? Just because he loves you more than anyone has ever loved you? His love is what's driving this whole thing forward. And if you ask why, you ask the devil, why did I go through the suffering? The devil will say, God is a jerk. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world is blind to the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. He works from Genesis 3 to the end of time to corrupt and pervert your vision of him. You ask God, why? Why am I in the midst of this trial? Well, because I had huge intentions for you, awesome dreams for you to make you like my son. I put you in a crucible where that could happen. You have to participate with me in the process. I have huge hopes for you. And it is my love. It is my love. It is my love that's driving this forward. I didn't create that trial. I didn't create cancer. 
I didn't take away your friend. I didn't make that person betray you. But if you keep trusting me, believing me, I'll use that fire to make you like my son, to create compassion in you, to create generosity in you, kindness in you, to make you less selfish. You're so selfish. And you, you want to be happy, learn to be obsessed with everybody else like Jesus was. Only trials will do that. Only trials will do that. And like <laughs> in, in that book, I, you know, I recently the, wrote the there must be more. If without trials, we sit around playing on our smartphones, sipping lattes, watching movies. You know, it's when a trial hits, you're tearing up the Bible. Why, why, why? God will say, because I love you and I have a huge intention for you, massive dreams for you. I want to make you like my son. Up in heaven, I, I know this being a little bit, you know, creative license. God, the Trinity is sitting up in heaven. What is the very best thing we could do? with these little image bearers. Jesus is like, make them like us. So they know the joy of being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. So they know the joy of being a fountain of goodness to everyone around them. But then, uh, you know, God realizes, yeah, but when they're first created, they're just these little things. They can't do much. They're just a bundle of potential. Yeah, let's give them the potential to be that. Well, how do we get them from here to there? We'll have to put them in a place where they can develop their mind and their emotions and their will to become like us. How's that going to happen? Trials. That's how it happens. So whether you caused it, whether you feel like you got railroaded into it, don't listen to the devil. Don't believe his lies that God is a jerk, that he's forgotten you, that he's trying to punish you. You ask God why, the answer is always, because I love you. Because I love you. Why'd you put me in this world like, because I love you? Why'd you let me go through this? Why'd you put me? Well, I didn't cause the evil, but I want you to look up and hand it to me because I'm going to turn that horrible thing into glory. Glory. There's, I guarantee you, there's people sitting there and they're bitter. They're angry at God. Why? Why'd you do this to me? I can't believe you did this to me. You're not thinking rightly about who he is. The devil has helped you form your theology. God doesn't like what happened to you and God didn't cause what happened to you. God wants to redeem what happened to you. He wants to flip it on its head. How do we know that God causes the most heinous, evil, horrible things like our friend Tina who was pimped out and sexually abused by her father figure growing up, got pregnant, forced to have an abortion at 13. People like that. Can God redeem that? Yeah. Any of you who are friends of Tina, she, she had a, a workshop for some of the more broken women in our church who've gone through not quite that extreme. Some of you close stuff. She's now married. She's got generations of Christians behind her. She's healed. She's a minister. God's turned it on its head, made those things that the devil brought into her life to destroy her into weapons and wisdom and strength. Like Joseph, if you know your Bible, he's kind of my guy. Joseph in the Old Testament, rejected by his family, sold into slavery, falsely accused of a sexual crime, put in prison, forgotten, neglected. And then when he was done cooking, because he kept responding rightly to God, he basically is running the entire civilized world and preserving the nation of Israel so that Jesus can come into the world. But it was through the fire and the rejection and all that that God made him into what he wanted him to be. I hope this is making sense to you, but this theme is everywhere. What are you in right now? What are you in? Are you mad at God? Can you say, God, no? I choose to believe you. your love is driving my life forward. And if I will just let you, your love will crash into the situation, you know, <laughs> kind of like a scene where someone comes into the bar and they just throw everybody up against the wall and then they take charge. God, I'm going to let you into this situation. You're just going to be throwing the devil around, taking charge. You're going to turn this nightmare into something glorious. Consider it all joy. Paul says, and uh, there's so many scriptures like in 2 Corinthians, the sufferings of this present life. No, that's also Romans. This is 2 Corinthians. Momentary light affliction is producing in us a weight of glory 
beyond all comparison. God, I give you my pain. I give you even the junk I caused. I hand it to you. I renounce it. I turn away from it. I'm not going to be the immoral guy. I'm not going to be the guy causing fire on earth anymore. I'm going to learn how to walk with you, but I hand you it all. Redeem it. Momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And back in Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us, but we got to let it go. Whatever you're in, wherever, whatever you're stuck in, wherever you're mad at God about, if you don't let it go, it's just going to make you bitter. It's going to break you. It's going to make you twisted and crippled and ugly in spirit. And that's just what the devil wants. And him telling you, God did this to you. This was his plan. This was his doing. He could have stepped in. He didn't want to. This is, he's painting this ogre vision of God. Scripture says, no, Jesus, that's God. Jesus is God. Jesus doesn't like sickness. He doesn't like poverty. He doesn't like disease. He doesn't like any of that. He fights against it all. He doesn't create it. But we're in a world where it happens. And God says, when it happens to you, hand it to me. I'll redeem it. So you train yourself. Man, God, I thank you that I was born. I'm, this is not me. I'm just thinking, I thank you that I was born into a home and I didn't have a dad. I, there was no one to throw the football around with me, no one to come to my games, right? God, I thank you that uh, I came to you late in life after I'd already blown up a family and now everybody hates me. I hand it to you. Redeem it. Redeem it. God, I thank you that I did some really stupid things that got me exactly where I am today. I hand it to you. Redeem it. Redeem it. Redeem it. And he will. And make me like Jesus. Give me wisdom as I contemplate this and run it through your word and, and I'll do it. Ah, so Paul says, <laughs> he says, uh, he considers all things to be basically worthless compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. This is in Philippians. That I've suffered, uh, you know, I, I suffered the loss of all things, count them worthless, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is all through the Bible. You've got to go through the suffering, you know, if you want to take advantage of everything that Jesus procured through the resurrection. Does this make sense? I don't hear trials being taught on much from the pulpit. I hear God causes everything, so grit your teeth and praise him. That just doesn't inspire me. That, that makes me want to like go home and watch, I don't know, reruns or something. I don't, that doesn't make me want to worship. It doesn't make me want to raise my hands and weep. But the thought that my stupidest decisions or stupid decisions other people made that ran over my life, I can hand them to God. And those things will turn into wisdom and strength and Christ-likeness in me and give me more joy, more peace, more fruitfulness. I think, what a brilliant God. What an awesome Redeemer. How does he make it possible? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which you know leads to the forgiveness of all of our sins, brings us into his kingdom. But then from that point on, the work of Christ on the cross keeps doing that work of redemption in our lives, keeps doing that work of redeeming everything. Everything that hits us, everything works together for the good of those who are uh, love God and called according to his purpose. So how do we know that God can redeem anything, anything, anything? Anything. The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. What is that? That is the God-man, the perfect one, sinless, all the evil forces of hell and earth are unleashed on him. It's like, give me your best shot, Satan. Bring it on. Give me your be all the hosts of hell, all the wicked, perverted religious people, the corrupt religious system, all the corrupt politicians, lay it on me. God, let them all have their way. And he, through the death of Christ, worked the greatest act of redemption ever. Does that make sense? Can God redeem your mess? Can God redeem the evil you've done, the evil that's happened to you, the chaos? Even, even just living in a world where disasters happen, earthquakes, floods, you know, 
financial chaos that don't even have necessarily any kind of moral component, these kind of things happen. God can redeem them all. Interesting uh, <clears throat> passage in Psalm 2, and I know I'm whipping you guys all over the scripture. So, but uh, uh, by the way, that's what made me sane. I used to be crazy. So you want to know why I'm not crazy anymore? It's because I marinated my brain in the word of God. And I started to think thoughts like this and see the world through this kind of a grid instead of the one that, you know, you get off YouTube or whatever. Um, Psalm 2 says, why, <laughs> why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his, anoint, his anointed. So it's talking about the whole world trying to throw God off. And it says, he who sits in heaven laughs. When the devil tries to hit you with his best shot, when the devil tries to hit Jesus with his best shot, God was up in heaven is like, I could make something great out of that. Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm going to give you all free will. I'm going to let you cause fire. I'm going to limit it. I mean, we don't have unlimited power, but we hurt each other. We create fire. But that scripture says that as the world rages against God to, to derail his plan, he laughs. You can't derail my plan to make Joe like Jesus. Are you crazy? Lynette's going to be like Jesus. She will be like Jesus. And she's going to forget all the pain she ever went through. She's going to forget it. It's going to be like when we're in heaven and we're worshiping. Oh, you remember that horrible thing you went through? Oh, man. No, I, no. Because it was so redeemed and so glorified. I can't even find a speck of mess in it anymore. God just totally used it in my life. So we believe that. That's what the word says. That's why he put us in this world so we could become like Jesus. He will get it done, but we have to trust him. What are you in? I didn't get accepted in the school I wanted to go to. I got looked over for the promotion. My dad won't call me. Uh, there's addiction in my family. I've got mental health issues. I've got physical health issues. I've got a sin struggle I can't overcome. Can you say, God, I thank you for that sin struggle I can't overcome? Not because I'm going to stay in it, but because you're going to deliver me from it, and you're going to teach me so much in the midst of it. I used to be crazy. Some of you guys used to be crazy. Some of you guys are crazy. But you can say, God, I thank you for the voices in my head. I thank you for the night terrors and the demons in my room that I can't tell anybody about. I hand them to you. Redeem this mess. I did that. That's why people invite me into situations that nobody else wants to go into. Dark, crazy people. I'm like, let me at them. God redeemed it. God, thank you for poverty. He doesn't like poverty, but it'll let you go through a stretch of poverty. Why? So you learn that he's such an abundant provider. If you weren't in poverty, you wouldn't know how to pray. You wouldn't learn how to pray. I've seen so many miracles in my life, but we've had to go through a lot of poverty. God's like, I'm training you. Can you trust me? Can you thank me? I hope I've made my point. What are you in? You will become bitter and have a twisted, perverted vision of God to the point where you just give up on him and you become an atheist. You say, I don't need church anymore. Or you'll, you'll get this glorious vision of God where you'll be the person up in the front row raising your hands, weeping because you just love him so much and you're experiencing the depths of his love because you keep saying, I trust you. I give you this mess, redeem it. Take me deeper into who you are. Make me more like you. So, um, yeah, we usually have a little prayer time afterwards. And I cannot but believe that there are people in here who are like, wow, I was thinking God ripped me off, just like even the garden. I was thinking God stuck me in a situation because he was mad at me and he had no plans on getting me out. Nope. He, he has nothing but hope and nothing but love. What he wants you to do is trust him. Say, God, I give it to you. Now, if you're doing something stupid, repent, because you're just creating more fire for other people, making them miserable. He wants you to be a, a river of blessing instead of a fire starter, right? That's, what, that's why people are supposed to be drawn to us, because we're rivers of grace and blessing. So some of you need to repent. But even if you did something foolish that's brought fire, say, God, okay, I'm going to give you this fire. I'm going to stop doing it, but I'm going to give you this mess. Redeem it. 
Help me to go deeper into who you are. Make me more like your son. So, uh, yeah, we're a little bit early. Um, and uh, we will do our normal prayer time. I think we're going to wrap up with a song. This is the cue for those who need to set up that room, you know, and maybe after the worship song, you can go over there and set up that room. And then after the song, if you want to go over and have lunch and meet some people from the church, because I don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't want to come to prayer, but whatever, maybe God's telling you to go to the other room, then go to the other room. But for those of you who say, wow, this, this has hit me right in the, ooh, right in the heart. Uh, this is me. I was accusing God. I thought God pulled a rug out from under me. I thought he forgot me. I, I didn't realize that it was love and hope. That's why he allows us to go through these things. And he wants to bless me, bless me, bless me. The coolest things I know, I learned in a fire. Man, I, I've had some injustice. Someone say, oh, if you could go back, would you not go through that? What are you, crazy? No way. Because that little bit of fire produced blessing. The reason that this church is peaceful and fruitful a, a large part of it is the fact how I got thrashed in some other ministries when I was younger by doing things wrong. And so I sought God's wisdom and learned a better way to do things. But God's speaking to some of you guys. You need some prayer. Just come up. Say, wow, I've been stuck. I've been stuck for a while. I've been mad at God. I need to hand this to him. Thank him for it. Maybe someone in here needs to be born again, come to the kingdom for the first time. The one thing I will say is uh, in, in line with the theme of praying the Spirit, we're hoping that these times of prayer, again, aren't just, aren't just laundry lists, but they especially relate to what's just been shared. So if the Lord is speaking to you about what's happened here in the room, no matter what he said during this time, if God has spoken to you and you need prayer after we, after we have this uh, time of worship together, stick around, receive some prayer. Or if you want to just head over to the other room, go ahead and do that. So um, I will say a prayer. We'll cue up the worship song. And uh, yeah, and then we'll go from there. Father, you're brilliant. You gave us freedom and we caused fires. But you know, you knew before you created us what you're going to do with those fires. You're going to make us like you. They force us to cry out, to look up, to find new ways of seeing things, new ways of understanding you and ourselves. They make room for the Holy Spirit to teach us. Uh, so we praise you for your word. We thank you that this is just repeated over and over and over. There's nothing that earth or hell can throw at us that you can't redeem, that you can't bring good out of. I just pray you give us a faith to step across that, uh, yeah, that barrier and do it right. Not become bitter, but become better. Become more like your son, Jesus. I love you, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone in here who needs ministry, they would stick around. They wouldn't run out the door. They wouldn't say, I can do this myself because you release grace in the midst of your people. I just pray that they'd humble themselves and receive. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if someone can hit the lights, let's stand up and worship. <clears throat>